Welcome to Someday is Here, a podcast for Asian American women on leadership and culture. I'm your host, Vivian Mabuni. This podcast has been created to carve out a space for Asian American women to explore and validate living in both Eastern and Western worlds. Each week, we will celebrate our heritage and highlight Asian American history. My guests and I will explore our various Asian American journeys, both the parts that we are proud of and the parts that have brought pain. We'll discuss practical tips on leadership and our favorite comfort foods, of course. This is a place and a space to bring words and understanding to our shared experience living biculturally. I am so glad you're listening and look forward to your feedback. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this week's episode of Someday is Here. So glad that you are here. And I want to encourage you to continue to register for the very first Someday is Here live event. It'll be taking place February 22nd, 2020, here in beautiful Southern California. So those of you who are in cold climates, please come and thaw out here with us. It's a one-day event with several of the first episode, first season episode um, guests that will be here live. So excited about the lineup of speakers. We are going to have lunch together and optional seminars. We have so many great things planned and just excited to have face-to-face time with incredible Asian American women from all over the country. So get your tickets. They, the early bird price is only $25 until November 15th. And after that, it's going to go up to $30. You can get more information um, on our Eventbrite. You can find that on my website, vivianmabuni.com. Or if you are on Instagram, you can go to my profile and under my profile, there's a link tree that has a link that goes to the Eventbrite. So get your tickets and be a part of history making. It's going to be fantastic and we really want you to be there. So bring your friends and come join us for the very first Someday is Here live event. And we are also going to be taping a live podcast um, conversation. So it's going to be fantastic. I'm hoping you are enjoying these conversations as much as I am. It's really been incredible to have so many talented, um, amazing Asian American women leaders on this first season. And I am excited, of course, again, to introduce to you another incredible leader. Um, Nikki Toyamasito is Uh, the executive director for ESA, Evangelicals for Social Action. She is an incredibly gifted leader who has served in high-level positions in organizations like International Justice Mission, IJM. Uh, She has served with uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, um, the Third Luzon Conference. She has helped to develop plenary programs for those very, very large conferences. She's a graduate of Stanford University in mechanical engineering, and she also has her master's in organizational leadership. Um, Nikki is an author, a co-editor for the book More Than Serving Tea that we've referenced um, several times on this podcast, but she's also the author who co-wrote, co-wrote Partnering with the Global Church, 
and a co-author of The God of Justice, IJM Institute's Global Church Curriculum. So um, she, I just have, I loved our conversation. Uh, Nikki just offers such great perspective and wisdom through experience. Uh, She uh, is um, one of Christianity Today's um, 40 under 40 um, leaders that people are looking to. And what an honor to have her on this week's episode. So enjoy the show. This week's Did You Know is about Japanese-American history. For those of you that have never heard of the 442nd Regiment, it is the most decorated unit in U.S. military history made up of Japanese-American soldiers who had, many of them had their families um, in the incarcerated put into the internment camps during World War II after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, and yet they still chose to fight for the very country that put their families in the into these um, internment camps. Um, the unit earned more than 18,000 awards in less than two years. It's incredible. Um, oh, 9,486 Purple Hearts. There were... Um, Medals of Honor. I mean, it's just incredible. 21 of the members were awarded Medals of Honor, which is the highest honor that um, soldiers can receive. It It's astonishing to me to think about these young men um, putting their life down on the line um, in the midst of being discriminated against in their own country. So American-born Japanese um, men, young men, enlisting in the army and helping to win World War II. It's pretty incredible. So that is this week's Did You Know? Well, welcome back to Sunday is Here, and I am so, so, so thrilled to introduce to you this week's guest. Nikki Toyama Sito is um, the Executive Director for Evangelicals for Social Action and the Cider Center, and she is coming in from Virginia. We are literally speaking from the West Coast and the East Coast today, and I'm so excited uh, for this conversation with Nikki. Nikki, tell us a little bit, maybe share how we even know each other. It's kind of a fun little connection here, and I'd just love to hear your story as well. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Vivian. It's such an honor to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Um, I think we met uh, several years ago, uh, 2020-2012-ish, maybe mm-hmm. at the Asian American Women's Leadership Conference, the first and uh, unfortunately so far only one in the decade. <laughs> no, we need to change that um, so fast. <laughs> <laughs> and I think um, you were one of the speakers there and I was one of the, the MC and one of the uh, uh, coordinators for that. And um, so I think that was where we met, but it's just one of those uh, connection moments, I think, grateful to finally meet face to face, you know. Yes. Well, I've been like tracking your journey with such admiration and respect over the years since before that time. And then (laughs) from that time, but I know that you had spent some time like directing the Urbana conference. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Missions conference for how many thousands of college students was that? Yeah. It's about 18,000 folks from about 120 countries. 
Yeah. What in the world? Okay, so the, and then you worked for a time with um, IJM, International Justice Mission. That's right. Yeah, yep. I was, I was uh, the vice president over their uh, Institute for Biblical Justice, where we were kind of like a, an action uh, think tank uh, around human trafficking and ending modern day slavery. So, wow. Yeah. And then and in recent years, you have now become an executive director. That's right. Okay. Yeah. With Evangelicals for Social Action and the Cider Center and um, have just enjoyed uh, really working with people, trying to help them get a vision for social justice and, and the ways that um, the choices that we make are important, but also just how to, I don't know, enter into the stories of people at the margins and just mm. the richness that is there. So, yeah. That's so great. So, Nikki, you're Japanese American. That's right. I yep. would love to hear your story, your ethnic journey story. <laughs> well, I I uh, grew up in Chicago, um, and uh, the reason my family was in Chicago um, was because uh, my family is actually originally from the West Coast, uh, but my grandfather was in the American Army during World War II. Um, so, I actually had a grandfather who fought both sides of. World War II, one on the Japanese side, one on the American side. Um, wow. And we were not able to be on the West Coast. So we moved into the quote unquote, the interior, which was Chicago. And so um, that's how uh, my family uh, kind of got to that area. I uh, attended a Japanese church in Chicago and it was a church that was started in the camps. So this is the, the mass incarceration of Japanese Americans. And then, you know, you know, for survival, people kind of created these faith communities and then that church moved to Chicago. So that was um, kind of wow. part of my story. But it was one of those things where, um, you know, I grew up in a community that was 49% white, 49% black, um, mm. and a whole bunch of us uh, in this other category um, going through school and stuff like that. Um, but it was so interesting because I learned much more about the Japanese American history and the story of my own community and that church when strangers, like or my friends from college, would like come home and ask these people I'd known all my life. Suddenly, there's these amazing stories. You know, so and so is Forty Second, which is you know the Japanese American um, brigade that was you know heavily, heavily decorated. You know, all these. Kind of, it's like I had no idea. You're just Mister Kajimura mm. to me. But you know, um, so it's this interesting like hidden and secret treasure trove. So I grew up there, yes. and then I went to Northern California for school, and um, like a good kid, I studied engineering and. Uh, graduated uh, with a degree in engineering and, and did a little bit of work in Silicon Valley during the first boom. And, Can uh, I just brag on you and just, just say, <laughs> you went to Stanford, my goodness. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, that just kind of gives a little context, but I love the humility there too, but you know, just, just needed just, just to, you know, just to say that, but yes. So, so you worked yeah. as an engineer. Yeah, I worked as an engineer and, um, and it was during the first boom when they didn't have enough engineers for anything. So they're just trying mm. to hire people for whatever. And I actually worked in medical devices uh, for a little while um, in treatment of heart disease. And then um, I had this like moment of disenchantment where the guy I was working for, he said, Nikki, do you see that Christie's catalog over there? Um, there's a $10,000 watch. I'm going to bid on that on Friday. And I thought, mm. I'm busting my butt so this guy can buy a $10,000 watch. I was like, uh, I don't think so. I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just had this moment where I was like, I'm, I want to do something that actually really um, affects people's lives in a positive way. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I think I had this, you know, in my 20s, idealistic, like I want to do good. So 
um, I went into campus ministry because it had been a, a force for good in my life. And I thought, okay, I'm going to go to UC Berkeley. I'm going to learn about racial reconciliation because that's what the group up there was doing. And then mm-hmm. through that, actually, um, racial reconciliation was the doorway for me for justice and understanding and having a heart for justice. So that that just kind of, you know, reset my trajectory and, you know, all those like professional titles, that's kind of then the therefore, you know, that kind of happens mm. after that, so... That is incredible. So going back to your growing up years, so Chicago, black and white, yeah. Asian. Yeah. Um, what was that like for you? Did you experience discrimination? Were you? How were you treated? Do you remember? Um, I mean, obviously in the Japanese church, there was a sense of centering as a Japanese American. Um, tell me a little bit about what that was like. You know, was it something you were proud of? Was it something that was something you tried to hide? Totally. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it's a little interesting is I don't know how much I was aware of uh, my Japanese American identity um, until I was much older. Um, and like definitely by kind of college, post-college when I was in some extremely like homogenous settings, then I was like, oh mm. wait, I actually am. Uh, Asian, I am Japanese American, but um, growing up, I think there was I was Nikki in my own head, right? Like, there's a sort of mm-hmm. it was an interesting way. So, I understood that my family operated a little differently than like my friends' families and um, church life and social how social life worked in church was really really different because I was a Japanese or really an Asian American community. Um, but I, my first aha that I was different was in like second or third grade when a bunch of us kiddos who are talking about um, Annie had come through town and they were auditioning children. And everyone was like, I'm going to go audition. I'm going to go audition. So I said, mm. I'm going to go audition. I love singing and dancing. Mm. And somebody stopped and goes, you're going to audition? And that's when I realized, oh, different is not just that I don't have red hair to play Annie. Like there is no part for me in that. There's mm. no one who looks like me in that. And I just don't, it was like somebody held up a mirror and mm. I saw myself for like the first time. Mm. So I think my growing up was a little bit of this, like trying to figure out the, that, like, is this good or is this bad? Is this an asset mm. or a liability? You know? And I think mm-hmm. I really went back mm-hmm. and forth um, in navigating how much do I try to hide or how much do I embrace that? So mm-hmm. I think, I mean, in some ways it's like a lifelong journey. Um, yeah, but th- that was very poignant for me. I think growing up. Wow, was there anyone that you were navigating that with, or was that kind of all inside your own mind? What was that experience oh, yeah. like for you? I mean, that that was all inside my own mind. Mm. <laughs> in Japanese, mm. Japanese American communities, if it's bad, you don't. At least in my in my family circle, you don't say it. Mm. You know, you only mm-hmm. ask questions if you know the answer is going to be good. It's mm. um, so there wasn't anybody to be like, "Hey, I felt hurt." You know, like help mm-hmm. me help me process my feelings, or oh, I yeah. felt really disappointed by that. Like, no, it was, it was about like, how is this community doing? How's the family doing? Mm. It's like, how you're doing is a little inconsequential to like, are we all doing okay? Or I don't know. So totally the collective, yeah, exactly. Collective. That makes the collective so sense. we. Yep, the collective we. So was there like when you think about, um, you know, that was definitely a point of pain. Um, you know, just kind of that mirror and realizing, mm. you know, even if I wore a wig, 
Right. I may not be cast because of my eyes and my skin right. tone. I mean, there's right. just the, the sense of that. Did you experience other points of pain as an Asian American woman? Uh, yeah, I did. I mean, there were different things and different scales of pain, right? So, I mean, I think one thing that was, I, I, all all the calls, all the uh, Chinese sounding kung fu mocking names, ching chong, and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. I experienced all that, and I would remember walking home from school. Some kid on a bike would, you know, yell those kinds of things, and just the anger that was in me. But then the not knowing what, like not being fast enough to respond, not knowing what I could say. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I think I definitely experienced that. Um, I think the other thing that I'm going to put in the category of pain was I remember when I'd go out the door, my mom would say, you know, Nikki, when you go to that place, blah, 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 whether it's this campground or some, some person's home or some person's family gathering, usually it was a white person, they'd say, um, you be, be on your best behavior because you might be the only Asian person they ever interact with. Oh, wow. And just feeling um, that, uh, that my, my actions are not my own. Mm. And um, having me so conscious of uh, the consequences of what I do mm-hmm. may affect other people who look like me for right or for wrong. I don't know. So I think just this awareness yes. of like... The burden of representation, mm. uh, but that was uh, yeah. I, I remember my mom. That was kind of her out the door thing. Mm. You know, I think it was actually her way of. I, I think it was it was spoken out of her own experience, um, mm. and uh, I think that there was a way that uh, my parents had experienced such extreme racism growing up in Southern California mm. um, that. Uh, I received a lot of the effects of second generation racism. So is the things that they kind of therefore you must mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because it was a response to how much rejection they had experienced in these different places. Be better, be nicer, be kinder. Mm. Win, win at their very game. You know, mm. win legitimacy. We we do belong here because every little thing. Where are you from? How long have you been here? Your English is so good. All these things just spoke. Mm-hmm. You are not, you don't belong here. So it's just a little pebbles that yeah. kind of hit you. So yeah. Oh, that totally makes sense. It's interesting that you mentioned that because that burden of representation, I think, like I've experienced as well. Like if I'm if I am the only woman of color yes. presenting yes. at a, at a yes. conference, for example, I feel the weight of that. Like if I blow it, it That's may right. mean that other women of color or Asian American women in particular may not have the opportunity. That's right. That's right. And I think we carry that with us, you know, from a young age, but there, it's a combination, I think, of what you just described. It's cultural because we are part of a collective. And so what we do represents, you know, it affects others, but there's also historically the trying to become seen as, um, having substance in and of ourselves, but even having to work even harder. Like, yes. There's no room for error, right? Because mm-hmm. you blow it might, I, I'm always mindful of that. 
Mm-hmm. If this does not go well and they attribute it to something that it may not, you know, maybe it's because I'm sick. Not right. I'm an Asian woman. This is right. well. I'm mindful of like the door might close for other people. Because, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes I'm not sure like how much of that is healthy responsibility and how much of that's like, eh, that's not yours to care. I, I don't know, but yeah, yeah. I don't think other people wrestle with that. No, I don't way. think so either. I remember I was I was speaking at a conference and it was a last minute thing and I was paired up with a white woman and yeah. you know, we were preparing and we we're speaking together. So whenever yeah. you speak together, it's more complicated anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I was feeling this tremendous pressure because it was during the holidays and it was last minute. And uh-huh. her response was, I'm just I just think they should just be grateful that they even have us. And uh-huh. just uh-huh. it never even occurred to her to think, and I'm thinking this is last minute, but I am representing all women of color yeah. and all Asians yeah. because they've never had one before. And yeah. it just yeah. was a very different experience. Totally. Yeah. Totally. No, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> that is, that is. Well, as you have journeyed, you know, and, you know, post-college and throughout your life, what are some things that you are proud of as an Asian American, as a Japanese American woman? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think um, it took a while for me to to journey and begin to see that my ethnicity and my gender are a gift. In fact, like hmm. um, they're God's best gift for me. Like mm-hmm. it could have been anything, you know. Um, before my posture was always my gender and my ethnicity are something to be overcome. So, like. I took every stereotype that was there and I would live my life trying to like fight that stereotype. So um, mm. on my campus, like the Asian women didn't play ultimate. So I like jumped in I, and I'd play ultimate, you know, like or whatever <laughs> thing that people yeah. did. Like I was a mechanical engineer and, you know, I worked on cars and yes. you know, did machine stuff, you know, like I just, I just mm. fuck everything. And so I think it was my way of kind of fighting the like, yeah, whatever that yucky thing you think, I'm not that, I'm cooler than mm-hmm. that, you know? And then it, I think sometime in my like late twenties, but it's a continuing journey. Mm-hmm. Um, beginning to realize, actually, these are amazing. There's amazing things about being a Japanese woman, you know, mm. and and actually, like being a Japanese woman makes me better for leadership. You know, like mm. these are not things I need to overcome. These are, uh, but like, how is it that there's these extraordinary uh, things? So, I mean, I think one of my most proud moments was um, a group of women, uh, we got together, we were sort of sharing our experiences. And then um, it turned into a book called More Than Serving Tea, which Mm -hmm. was a a collection of essays uh, looking at the intersection between faith and race and ethnicity and gender. And so like Mm. for Asian, it's all, it's Um, pan-Asian. I think it was, uh, you know, from Pakistani, Filipino, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, like uh, we really try, you know, the adopted experience, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the new immigrant experience, the like many gener, you know, all that. We try to kind of at least show that there's just lots of different mm-hmm. things, but also commonalities. Yeah. We were not equipped to write that book. We were not the experts. We were just people who um, worked with a lot of Asian women and were like, you know what, mm-hmm. we are, we hear this over and over. We are not alone. Yeah, and I think yeah. I came to the point where like someone needs, someone needs to write this. Someone should write this. Someone really should write this. We would buy it, you know. And it is like, oh, that someone is us, mm-hmm. you know, kind of a thing. So, I think 
my proud moment is that we just put it out there. And I, I kind of thought, you know what? If we put it out there and everything we say is wrong and racist, then someone else is going to correct it and they're going to write the next book and it will be better. So I, I felt mm. proud of us mm-hmm. for floating that at that time. Our, our publisher was like, nope, like, you know, don't do that. We're like, you don't understand. Asian women, mm-hmm. they buy books. They buy books yes. for their friends. And yes. there's like no one up that chain of decisions who like got what we were saying. Anyway, mm-hmm. so I, I think that feels like a proud moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think a, a recent proud moment was um, last year um, when the children were being separated from their families at the border. And mm-hmm. um, I work with a group called Evangelicals for Social Action. And mm-hmm. evangelical men were meeting with Trump, talking about whatever they talk about. But we were there with all these women of all these different faiths, locking arms and sort of saying, this is not right. Mm-hmm. Children. Um, and that happened on June 19th. And then June 20th, they signed the order to stop that practice. Um, but it was a it was a proud moment for me because the reason that I was very much there and present was because it was very much fueled by my own family's experience during World War II of being from this country put into things that hold animals instead, you know, like we were moved into camps. We were taken to the racetracks. Mm-hmm. Um, processed there, taken into buses, put all across the desert. And just like it, I think part of what made me feel proud is that as I was trying to stand up and advocate, mm-hmm. I felt very connected to my own story. By all accounts, people did not formally protest what was happening to the Japanese Americans. So right. in some ways, I felt like I am going to speak up for them. Like speaking up for this group now. So um, it was something that I just, that felt to me very proud is not quite the right word, but it mm-hmm. felt important. It felt circular. It felt yes. like um, I am continuing a story that I have been living in for generations before I existed. And wow. I don't know. So um, yeah, very much. My, my justice work is very much informed by kind of... Um, my own experiences mm-hmm. um, and the sensitivities that I might have because I am a woman and because I'm Japanese American. So you know, so that is so beautiful. <clears throat> As I wipe tears from my eyes, that <laughs> um, there's something so redemptive about being able to um, stand in the gap, having had family members experience injustice, and then now being about righting wrongs. So. I'm really, really um, encouraged and just, yeah, so, so uh, admire um, what your work is all about. So thank you. Um, So executive director, (laughs) (laughs) this is, I love, I love when women um, take roles of leadership and I just, I think that what you just touched on, that as a Japanese-American woman, there are uh-huh. qualities that you bring to leadership that uh-huh. 
are part of who you are, but it's actually good leadership. Yeah. And um, I would love for you to share with listeners some of your leadership principles or even what you would share with a younger version of Nikki and Viv, you know, who aspire to be leaders or anything from your experience on leadership. I would just love to just wide open, Nikki. <laughs> Let's talk leadership. Let's talk Let's leadership. Talk lead- I love talking about leadership. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that's a good question. I think if I think about what I might say to somebody who is um, 15 years or, or 20 years behind me on the journey, just age-wise, um, I think the first thing that, I, that came to mind was take care of your business. Um, mm. The stakes get higher and the uh, spaciousness for making mistakes gets smaller, the mm. larger your leadership scope is. Mm. So I think I spent a lot of my time in my 20s kind of like trying to cover up my, um, uh, my weaknesses or the things that were wrong or, you know, like, oh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Is that racist? I don't know. You know, like mm. all this kind of stuff, just trying to kind of like polish, uh, mm-hmm. my, polish how we would probably present it to the world. But I'd say like, um, start now, start today. Mm-hmm. And get into a community of people with whom you can be real. And you can ask those questions and you can make those mistakes. And I would say take lots of risks and make those mistakes now because the stakes will only get bigger and bigger, whether um, it's there are more people that are involved or dependent upon you and your life or whether your leadership scope expands or whether the costliness to, of mm-hmm. making transitions and choices goes up. So I think it only, just think of it as like right now is the best time for me to make my best mistakes. Mm. Um, and, and to look at that, that to me is like taking care of business, like, mm. um, get your emotional house in order. Like counseling is awesome. Everyone should yes. years, you know, and just know your stuff and know how to be a good friend to other people <laughs> and, um, get your finances in order. Go to the doctor. I don't know. I don't know. Just mm-hmm. learn these mm-hmm. habits. Uh, because all of these things get harder and harder to do. But um, I guess I think of it as like a foundation. Like you you set a foundation. You have no idea, like for a house. Sorry, I'm an engineer. Mm-hmm. Oh, go engineer. And um, so, you you know, you build a foundation for a house and you anticipate how much weight and how many stories and all that kind of stuff it's going to be. Mm. I think we can be a little cheap on the foundations we set. Mm. And like right now, today is the best time to go deep, deep, deep. Mm. On your foundations, maybe, maybe you're in a little bit of a leadership desert, and like go deep in your, you know, go mm. deep in your core beliefs, go deep in your spirituality, go deep yeah. on, like take that as a chance to go deep, because you never know what might need to be built on that foundation and how it's going to get stressed and what it's going to need to hold so in the good. future. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, so what you got laid off from that job, like take some time to go, like, are there some things that you're just like, okay, now you can go deep on your relationship with your family, mm. um, on doctor's appointments you didn't catch up on, on a couple of skills. I don't know, that kind of thing. So that's so good. I think that's one thing I'd say to kind of um, folks on the journey. So, yeah. yes, that's excellent. I love that. And I, and it is definitely, um, the, it's the unseen when you talk foundations. It's yeah. not like, you know, it's it's underground, but it yes. makes all the difference 
when it comes to the storms of life and the inevitable yeah. things that happen. So it doesn't make um, a good picture. No one's going to no. be impressed, but it's like, it's no. for you and you're worth yes. it. Like, do yes. it. Yes. You know, that so. is so good and so wise. And I think as Asian women, what's been modeled to us is that we are so big on anticipating everyone else's needs. Yes. Yeah. So we don't do a very good job of caring for ourselves and right. think of it as kind of selfish right. when in fact, it really is about the foundations and investing an investment. Totally. Is that Mm self-sacrifice mentality? I love, somebody said, and actually, and then I heard multiple people say that self-care is an act of justice and protest. It's the rest of the world sort of says your body is not as valuable. Mm. Self-care is actually sort of saying, no, this is resistance. This is protest. This is valuable. I don't know. So I love it. In my justice sphere, you know, that's the kind of stuff, right? (laughs) Whatever it takes, whatever motivation is required here. So this is so good. So for those listeners who are eights on the Enneagram, understand that this is resistance. Resistance. (laughs) Protest. Yes. So good. Protest. Well, let's shift gears really quickly to something that's a little lighter. Sure. What are some of your favorite Asian comfort foods, Nikki? Oh, my goodness. So many, so, so many. many. I mean, it got to be true to my people. So, mm-hmm. which is curry rice, especially like a tonkatsu curry. So it's a fried pork cutlet, especially with those little red pickles or the purple pickles. Love, love, love. So I think that's one of my favorites. Um, but the other thing that I don't know if this is comfort food or just plain like whatever, um, the Thai market around the corner from our place has coconut rice with mango. Is it, is it the <gasps> sticky rice? Oh, I'm sure so it's like gonna good. kill me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but there is something about that, like mango sticky rice, that I'm like, number one, it says summer's coming to me. Yeah, but like that's my comfort food. It's like, oh, mm. a little bit of fruit, you know, feels a little healthy. But yes, they, yeah, like, cook that rice in coconut milk or something. I don't know. Oh, so good. That's yeah. one of my favorite desserts for sure. That mango sticky <laughs> rice, like, just like oh, just. Uh, my mouth is watering. <laughs> so good. So good. I love that. It's so amazing. Well, I would love to know how people can connect with you. Do you have, are you on social media at all? What are some of your connection points? How can people find you? Yeah, totally. Um, well, the organization I lead has a website, Evangelicals for Social Action, and I uh, write there sometimes, but it's a good way to get get in touch with me. And then I'm on Twitter at Antoyama Sito, uh, but that's mm-hmm. probably the best way for folks uh, to reach me. So That is great. Well, I will, we will definitely link up all of those things as well as the book, More Than Serving Tea, and as well as you also co-authored another book. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. I've actually got three titles um, to my name. So there's More Than Serving Tea. Um, that's for Asian American women and the people who love them. And then um, another book called God of Justice, which is uh, like a series of studies looking um, from a Christian perspective of uh, faith and justice um, mm. that I co-wrote with a guy named Abraham George. And then I have another one called Partnering with the Global Church. So. Wow. I love it. I just love your work. This is so important. And um, especially during these times when there's so much confusion sometimes mm. and um, it's it's helpful to to have trusted trusted people and trusted sources mm. because it just seems so sometimes convoluted or confusing and um, in this you know storm tossed 
dumpster fire that we are currently totally. living in, it's just helpful to have resources by trusted people. So thank you thank for you. investing so you. and taking time to do that. So, um, so you are a mom as well. Yes. Uh huh. And um, what are you hoping that you would pass on to the next generation that they would then be able to continue as far as Asian American values or just the hopes and dreams for this next generation? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, one thing I'll say about my kids is when the when the situation's rough, like I'm the only woman in the room, I'm the only person of color, only Asian person in the room, and things are just terrible because uh, some of these leadership rooms that I'm in, I, that is true. Um, mm. I help myself go along by thinking about how it is I would tell my kids when they're older about this. Back in the day, can you believe I was the only woman, blah, 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 blah. And can you believe people said it? And then I imagine them going, no way. Oh my goodness, we can't believe it. This indignation because things have changed so much that they're like, no way, you were the only one. People actually believe that. Like, yeah, people actually believe. So I would like wow. narrate my present circumstance. Yes. If yes. It's like 15 years in the future to my kids. So they are my, that, that is how my kids anchor me in the future mm. and get me through kind of like, okay, press on, press on so that it'll be different. Um, I think the thing that I hope, I hope my kids absolutely love. Be, my kids are um, fully Japanese American and fully Chinese American. Mm. And I hope that they just have this tremendous sense of like, this is awesome. Mm. Um, so whether it's finding these amazing stories of people who like lived fully into those identities and uh, that that was the entree into empathy for them to do something you know, meaningful and extraordinary or small and simple. I don't know. So I think mm. that there's something that I just hope that they're fueled by all aspects of who it is that they are. Um, yeah. But particularly and not, uh, particularly, but not exclusively you mm. know, their, their gender and their ethnicity. So definitely, um, I hope they live in more freedom than I lived growing mm. up. So, Yeah, I, I, I hear you. That is definitely the... The future it is full of hope because of this up, up and coming generation. I think yeah. there's a lot of, there's just a lot of um, heart, vision, and courage that I see up and coming. And I just, my desire is to see all of that channeled to righting the wrongs. And um, yeah. so I love that vision. Um, I just had a thought. So Aaron, I'm wondering if you can drop this in earlier, but... When, with Dickie and I talking about Japanese internment, but do you have a story of your grandfather fighting in the war? Anything that would be something yeah. significant to share in that? Sure. Yeah. I'm, um, so my grandfather, on my Toyama side, um, he served in the American army during World War II. And um, I don't have a lot of pictures from that time but I have one picture and it's a picture of my grandfather with his brothers standing around my great grandparents um, in an internment camp or a concentration camp. Um, wow. And it's just in the moments before my great grandparents were deported back to Japan. So here 
my grandfather is serving. He's the old, he's wearing his American army uniform. He's the only one in that picture wearing that uniform. And the country that he is laying down his life for is about to deport his, his parents to Japan. Wow. And this, so I have this picture. This picture was the cover picture in Collier's magazine for Eleanor Roosevelt's story defending the incarceration of Japanese Americans in the concentration camps. I'm a huge mm. Eleanor Roosevelt fan. She and I differ on that on that particular issue. Mm. And that to me, I think that picture and my family's own story, that to me embodies the dissonance, the love-hate that I have that is embodied in me as both a Japanese and an American. Mm. And I think it's learning to kind of be fueled by both, to be dissatisfied and also to love. Um, and, and kind of holding on to both of those energies to kind of propel and to fight. Um, so that's that's a little bit of uh, mm. what fuels me and my um, my current work in the fighting against the deportation of folks and in kind of um, the treatment that we have of the refugees at the border. It's it's really from this having experienced it. But that that's my grandfather. So my son mm. is named after uh, that grandfather who I feel wow. very. Uh, grateful for of the way mm. that he he served even as he was betrayed um, wow. but he you know but he continued to serve out of integrity dignity and mm. loyalty so what an incredible example um i love sharing about the 442nd yes. you know especially when i present to college students because yes. Yes. most of them have no idea yes go for broke and, That's right. You know, um, if anyone is ever in the LA area, there's the Japanese American Museum yes. in Japantown. And it yes. has a whole just historical um, background of all of that, all of that. But the go for broke in the 442nd, the most decorated, yes. um, you know, fighting group of its size in the yes. history of yeah. all of the U.S. is just astonishing and the acts of bravery and courage. It just really, um, it just leaves you speechless. Really. Totally. So. I, I, Vivian, if I could build on that, I mean, uh, one of the things I think is so important, especially for Asian Americans, is to know their Asian American history mm-hmm. and the different people. Because we don't have our big museum on the Smithsonian Mall. Like we don't have, you know, and, and I think it's interesting because um, when you have a whole month dedicated, and there's May, API Heritage Month, and mm. um, you know some people celebrate, some people don't. But you have to search out enough stories, right, to to fill those, and that's when you uncover these hidden gems of these people who did amazing things. But um, my my kiddo, when she was in second grade, they had to choose a biography and write a biography of somebody, and they had this um, encyclopedia that they could choose from that had all these profiles, and there wasn't a single one of an Asian American person. And then so me and this other mom over a couple of years, like we just, we wrote to them, we gave them lists of different folks. And then so by the time my son was in second grade and had that same app, there were at least a handful of folks. Mm. But I think there's something important about making sure that these stories, not just of sports heroes or fashion designers, but also, I don't know, just all, in all these different fields, um, you know, busting and creating new images and, and stirring the imagination of what it means to be Asian American, mm-hmm. you know, here in the U.S. So, I love that. I love that. I love that. 
and it just underscores the need for us to continue to have the conversations and give even, um, again, I'm thinking just how in you sharing this story, it just gives such a connection point, even as I read history, like, Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, oftentimes we only know our history based on whatever the the movie came out about Saving totally. Private Ryan or, you know, something totally. that's like, yeah. you know, we just don't really understand that there was that much more going on yeah. because that story was not told. That's right. And so right. I just think that really does make so much sense. So thank you for being willing to share about your grandfather and we honor him and his service as well as his loyalty to family and country and just what I love that your son is named after him. Such a beautiful um, way to honor. So thank you. you. Well, Nikki, this has been such a treat to have some time to hear more of your story. You, um, I've always just admired you as a woman who leads with excellence, Mm, but I think in this time together, I just have really sensed the tender part of your soul that um, loves well. And it's just really been an honor to, to have this time with you. And I'm just so excited for our listeners to hear um, your wisdom and your perspective and just the lessons that you've learned and what you've even taught me in this time. So thank you so much for taking time. Oh, thank you, Vivian. It, it's been so fun chatting with you. Let's do it again. (laughs) Thank you for joining us this week on Some Days Here. If you've liked what you've heard, please take a moment and subscribe to the show so that each new episode automatically downloads to your device every week. And thank you for sharing this podcast with your friends. We would love for you to rate and review the show so that others can find out about us. A special thank you to the brilliant team that makes Some Days Here possible. The Some Days Here logo is designed by Jocelyn Chung. The original music is by Joseph Patrick with Passion Net Productions. Show notes on the website are by Vicki Pham. The sound engineer is Aaron Kretzman. The director of design and website designer is Kenny Wong. And the executive producer is Chantelle Reynolds. Have a great week, and we look forward to you joining us again for another episode of Someday is Here.